Welcome again to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, and you can also find us on the SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Again, today we're looking at judgment. Uh, In the previous podcast, we covered two of the five forms of judgment that we see in scriptures. Almost all five of these are not being mentioned in the Western church today. The two that we did cover is how God comes to judge between the righteous and the wicked, the great white throne judgment with its eternal implications, uh, profound implications. And then secondly, we we looked at the Bema Seat judgment, what people called the, the the believer's judgment or rewards judgment that believers will go through. And if you didn't see those, I encourage you to look at our previous podcast. But today we're going to look at three other areas or forms of judgment that are hardly ever talked about. One is within the church. Secondly, is nations being judged even today, not just in the Old Testament, and uh, also global judgment, a global judgments to come. And I believe we should be talking about these all the time. And to help us unpack all of these forms of judgment, just like last time, with me again today is Matt Bennett. And welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks, Dave. Great to be with you again. Hey, Matt, uh, as you explained, but we have some people that are on this podcast that didn't hear the last one. You're the founder and executive director of Christian Union, just share one thing that was like exciting from the last, uh, I don't know, the last school year in terms of what, where you were ministering on those influential campuses. Sure. Yeah. I'll share something I heard yesterday. We minister at some of the most academically intense and influential universities in the nation. And just yesterday I heard a quote from a student graduating from Dartmouth. And she said, I came to Dartmouth to get rich, but I'm leaving as a slave of Christ. Wow. uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, Things like that are why we are ministering where we do and why we do what we do. And so I'm so blessed to hear stories like that and the lives that are changed at these places. As students graduate from these schools and they take positions of leadership in the nation, we want them to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ as a slave to him. So praise his name. Yeah, well, thank you for launching Christian Union and the fruit. I've followed you from literally day one of Christian Union, and the fruit has been enormous. And I I just got to throw this in there because it's so uh, ironic or paradoxical, however you want to look at it. But when you were a young ministry, the New York Times carried Christian Union, and specifically you, interviewing you. Uh, I can't remember if that was a front page. Page article or just somewhere in there, but you were in the New York Times. Yeah, you're right. It was front page. And so it was really great exposure. A number of people said that I shouldn't cooperate with them because they might uh, do something bad or say something negative. But the way I figured is that, you know, a ministry is not really worth its salt until you get trashed by the New York Times. So I thought it was a win. <laughs> All reported, she did a great job. She was very fair. Yeah. Well, I remember reading that article. It was a very long article. They got into all kinds of details. And uh, anyway, not everybody can say they were on the front page of the New York Times, and especially as more of a biblically-minded, biblical values at the core of who you are, and they they let it go. And so anyway, praise God. Well, let's let's shift here, Matt. Um, 
by the way, though, before we do, uh, Matt's ministry is at christianunion.org, and you can find a lot of resources and a lot of other very encouraging material. So again, christianunion.org. Now let's jump into the topic today. Um, Matt, so we left off uh, with still having three more forms of judgment to go. And so let's look at the church first, the nations, and then the globe. So what are your thoughts uh, related to the church? Because I... I hardly ever hear this talked about that God would actually judge his own church, the body of Christ. Like, is this even possible? Does this happen? Is this scriptural? Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about this because I think it hinders us when we're unaware that the Lord judges Christians um, individually and collectively in this life. And it means a lack of rewards in the next life. But in this life, it does mean um, judgments and punishments um, from him. And there are passages about that address it in the New Testament um, after Pentecost. Sometimes people won't receive um, certain passages like, well, that was before Jesus or that was before the resurrection. But uh, after the resurrection, after the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit, there are numerous examples in the New Testament. Okay, so First Peter 4 um judgment begins in the house of God. Uh, what do you say to people that are like, well, God's wrath or judgment was taken out on Jesus on the cross, that that somehow uh, we don't really need to pay, pay attention to 1 Peter 4? Yeah, it's a misunderstanding. Um, the ultimate wrath in terms of the great white throne judgment was taken away, which we discussed in the other podcast, but uh, he makes it very plain to us that he does discipline us and does judge us in this life. You have the example of Ananias and Sapphira, as you remember, who are Christian, part of the Christian community, who are struck down dead. Uh, You have the example in 1 Corinthians 11 of those in the Corinthian church, Christians, some who got sick and some who were put to death by the Lord because they were handling the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way. You've got the seven churches in Revelation, five of the seven, Uh, Threats of judgment are given to them, which is coming. So there's a lot of uh, of meat there in the Bible to understand um, the fact that judgments are real. So with the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, in case some of our listeners haven't really processed that section of Scripture in a while, um, it is very unsettling. And I think it's unsettling for a variety of reasons, but one of the main ones is not only does God judge his own church, but many of those uh, rebukes that Jesus gives the, the five of the seven churches that need to repent of specific sins, many of them are, are uh, sins we would find in today's church in America. Um, I mean— we probably won't take time to go through all five, but I just want to mention the first one. Maybe we should mention the last one, too, there in Laodicea. But the first one with Ephesus, they left their first love. And it's like, is there a word for us here today? Like, yes, absolutely there's a word for us today. Um, but what sticks out to me about that is Jesus personally, and he's obviously revealing this to, to the Apostle John in, throughout the entire book of Revelation, but here, specifically in Revelation chapter 2, 
Um, he says that he will personally, now get this, and permanently close the doors in the church of Ephesus if they don't return to their first love. Like, this isn't like some light message, and if you feel like it today, you know, like maybe at some point we should get around to going back to our first love. No, he's he's specifically saying, I will close the church doors personally if you don't return to me with a whole heart. Yeah, you know, where these things become the most um, obvious uh, art to me is uh, when I minister to people individually. I have an active um, inner healing, healing and deliverance ministry, which I do maybe one to three times every week. And as I minister to people, it becomes apparent that they have some affliction on them as a judgment from the Lord against them. And even it's being energized by a demon. And it's not until they repent of that that then the curse is lifted off them and the judgment lifted off them, and then the demon can be driven out. And sometimes when I'm ministering to someone and say, for instance, they're unwilling to forgive somebody or something, well, it's almost impossible to get out a demon if they're unwilling to let go of that. And then plus the demon will come back with seven more wicked than themselves. So I, I will say, well, when you're ready, come back and we can continue to go through, but there's nothing I can do for you here or the Lord will do until you repent of it. So it becomes very vivid uh, with me uh, seeing these very specific judgments. Um, again, people have negative things happen to them for other reasons, not necessarily because of sins, but a lot of times it is because of sins, physical afflictions, mental problems, all sorts of things can be judgments from the Lord. And every church has plenty of people who are suffering because of a need for repentance. So um, one, one thing I think we should back up on just a little bit here is if we are not seeking the Lord wholeheartedly, if we have areas of compromise within the, our local churches, um, think of your local church or local churches corporately, my point is, is that we're actually inviting uh, demonic influence. And, and you're talking about whether it comes on to these individuals that you're ministering to or it comes within that church. I think of Thyatira, that church also in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, there's a serious judgment ahead that Jesus shares with John. This is what's going to happen if they don't repent from the sins of Jezebel. And I think there might have been some uh, bad doctrine mixed in there too, if I remember that right. Uh, but anyway, the long and the short of it is, is we're actually not only hurting ourselves just from an effectiveness or fruitfulness standpoint, we are actually opening up doors where the enemy can bring in more influence. Yeah, yeah, so true. And you can have a bunch of people in a local church do that, or one person, or some people are supposed to be correcting it and they're not, so they're sinning that way. So you can have a whole mess or constellation of rebellions against God that can bring his judgment onto a group of people or an individual. So let's just highlight this before we move on, but this is in our three areas of corporate judgment, or in other words, judgments that happen to groups of people. That's what this whole podcast is about in contrast to the previous one. But before we go on to the next one, let's just remember that, um, you know, some people have said that, you know, well, God's judgment was pre-cross. And you know, we just highlighted 1 Peter 4, verse 17, that judgment starts in the house of God, and we gave specific examples out of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. All of this was post-cross, post-resurrection, post 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. All of this is after, and I'm very concerned um, that we're not uh, treating these uh, topics and and God's judgment and as he evaluates his church, we're not treating this with the weight that it deserves. Okay, so with that, um, let's shift now to the judgment of nations. Uh, if, if we're not talking about judgment in the church, we're even talking less about judgment of nations. Is this scriptural? Is this just an Old Testament thing? Whatever. So, um, Matt, what, what's your thought here? I, I know that uh, we both confront people on a regular basis that are very dismissive towards God's judgment in all of these realms, including this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that famous passage in Jeremiah 18 that talks about his judgment on nations. And what's striking about this passage is that it's given to Jeremiah. And you'll see here, I'll read a couple of verses of it here. But uh, it's given uh, at a time where everybody knew that Israel was set apart and God had a special relationship with Israel. But even at that time, it's made plain uh, that uh, God has an expectation of all nations that they walk in righteousness, which is why you see in Isaiah and Jeremiah chapter after chapter, judgment on this nation, on that nation, on Moab, on an Egypt, on Assyria. It's all there because he's the Lord of all the nations. And so it says here in, in Jeremiah 18, it says, um, verse 7, any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up or break down Um, and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent the disaster that I had intended to do it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation um, or kingdom that I will build up and uh, plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. Now, therefore, and it kind of goes on from there. So, You see, it says at any time, so it's all throughout history. And then secondly, it's talking about a nation, not not necessarily just Israel. And this is what you see in his judgments and blessings of other nations. And so this applies today to Canada, to America, to Mexico, to every nation on earth. Uh, Some people ask, does uh, America have a special relationship with God? And to that I say, yes, and so does Mexico, and so does Canada. And so does Guatemala, and so does every, just as uh, every parent has a special relationship with each of their children, and the Lord has a destiny for each one, so the Lord has a destiny for each nation as a collective, and uh, it's important to him. And as citizens of a certain nation, it's our role to be concerned about that. Right, and uh, one one thing that has always struck me about that Jeremiah passage uh, is that in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah is called by God. He's the only prophet that gets this designation, but he gets the designation of being a prophet to the nations, plural. And I think one thing that we need to understand is, yeah, while a lot of the Old Testament uh, is related related to the nation of Israel, uh, actually nations in general, Gentile nations, over and over and over experience God's judgment. 
Um, now, as we talked about in the last podcast, judgment can be a neutral thing. You can, you can be repenting and turning to God and be blessed. We see that in, the, in uh, not only Israel at times, but Gentile nations. For example, when Jonah preached to Nineveh, Nineveh yeah. is part of Assyria, a massive capital city with all kinds of wickedness. They repented and God relented. So God judged them, but he said, hey, I'm weighing you in the balance. You repented, and he blessed them for roughly 150 years before they did encounter God's wrath and judgment because of the the falling of, uh, back into sin. But again, this is a these are Gentile nations that I want to highlight here a, a bit. Um, uh, another one related to Jeremiah 18, uh, where really the principle there is that God weighs every nation in the balance in every generation, including right now today in 2021. Um, but that it, it, the idea is that God's weighing nations in the balance. Well, that exact phrase is used in Daniel chapter 5 when the Babylonian, again, a Gentile nation or empire, but the, in Daniel chapter 5, it says you've been weighed in his scales and you've been found wanting. And that night, Babylon literally collapses. The king is out and the Persians are in. I mean, it's it's stunning to see how this happens within Gentile nations and how God uh, God causes these events to transpire. Yeah, really remarkable. I think what could throw us off is that sometimes God brings his judgment immediately, but sometimes he might wait 100 years. You think about giving time to repent. You think about when God spoke to Abraham or that uh, the wickedness of the Canaanites is not yet complete. So it was 400 years before he... Uh, wiped out the Canaanites from um, when it was indicated that would come. So, but we take that patience of God, his mercy, as an excuse that it doesn't matter or that he really doesn't judge or uh, um, he's not really present or watching or something. And that's where the danger comes in. And so as we think about current nations, America as well as others, uh, we can become flippant. Like, well, nothing bad's happened. We do all this wickedness. Oh, nothing bad's happened. Everything seems fine and fine. It's like the Lord is gracious. He's slow to anger. He gives chance again and again and again. But eventually the grace and patience runs out and he brings his judgment. Mm-hmm. And from several scriptures I'm drawing on here, when that happens is when a people has hardened their hearts. Now, there's always a remnant, but whatever that tipping point is for God, when the the corporate or the community, uh, this large group of people, as we're talking about nations, once that that tipping point is reached where God says they've literally crossed the line into reprobate, they're not turning back, he will send judgment in that negative sense of the word, not neutral sense, as I said a minute ago, but he will judge them. And here we're talking about God's wrath, and that's... Uh, uh, a part of this, you know, uh, as you study uh, God's judgment, that God's wrath is poured out. Now, again, he doesn't look for that. It's his, his last resort, in my opinion. I think we get that from the scriptures pretty clearly. But ultimately, he will pour out his wrath. And, you know, I think one thing for us to keep in mind here is either he's going to pour out his wrath or he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And we need to be posturing ourselves in line with his will and ways, and therefore experiencing the blessing of his presence, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to touch on a couple other things. Matt, did you have something else to put in there? Yeah, I just wanted to underscore what you're saying. So critical. Thank you, yeah. Okay, so 
but people are like, well, Jesus never talked about this. Well, I want to read a passage from Matthew chapter 11, uh, the last, a section out of the last part of that chapter, because I believe even in America today, we kind of have what I would call a Capernaum complex, which I'll explain here in this passage. Now, this is not exactly God judging nations, but it still is a corporate judgment, meaning it's a large group of people. These are cities that God is, is declaring judgment, and it is Jesus that does it. He did talk like this. And it's not that we worship one God in the Old Testament and, whoa, the New Testament God is completely different. No, this is one God, the same God, and his same character uh, throughout all of history, whether Old Testament, New Testament, or in 2021. It's it's the same God, and we worship him, not, not separate, different gods. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 20, it says, Then he... Jesus began to denounce the cities in in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So I I just got to stop there real quick. God's always looking for repentance, a humble heart, a broken heart over sin. And he's always looking for that. That's the the key fulcrum here. Uh, Verse 22, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, now remember, Capernaum was Jesus' ministry headquarters. It's where he kept coming back to. So now he's addressing the city where he spent a lot of time. It says, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. He's specifically using the word judgment and how he's comparing these cities, wicked cities that actually where he did miracles because they didn't repent, that they are going to be treated with greater punishment. I mean, this should really astound us because I think in America, we think, well, we're a Christian nation or we had the Great Awakenings or great miracles or I go to a pretty good church. And we think that everything's fine. And what this passage is teaching is you think that you're blessed because of X, Y, and Z. You don't really see your spiritual condition. And now I guess I do want to throw in the Church of Laodicea. You don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You haven't really uh, uh, assessed yourself related to the Scriptures, the entire Bible, not just your favorite verses that make you feel good, but the entire Bible. And it's super critical that we evaluate ourselves before the living God, the holy God, God Almighty. I think so much in Western Christianity, we believe the false notion that God is pleased with us as Christians, no matter what. And you'll see some people even teach that. They'll say, well, we know that he's pleased with you or Christians, or you should know because you are in Christ and God is wholly pleased in Christ. People will say that, but it's very plain in the New Testament. There are a lot of examples and situations where God is not pleased with Christians. And you talked about Revelation. There's a lot of places that way where he's angry with Christians. Yes, uh, not just non-Christians. So it's that false understanding that makes us think that, well, we just can kind of go along and everything's kind of hunky-dory because this is the, the Christian age. And we do it at our peril. And we need to uh, examine ourselves, as was said in 1 Corinthians 11. They're rebuked for not examining themselves. If 
the uh, Corinthian church would examine themselves, then they and judge themselves, there wouldn't be a need of judgment from God because they would repent and turn back to him. But we don't even do that. And I was uh, alarmed when uh, I heard uh, Sean Boltz, um, he's a prophetic minister, declare a year ago or so that uh, God doesn't judge in this age. That's only for the end times of the church age. Absolutely false that he would say that is astonishing. But then you hear some other things like uh, N.T. Wright, who talks about how we can't know whether there's a judgment or not in relation to COVID or different things. It's like, well, why, why can't we know? How could they know in the Old Testament when judgments, but we can't know now? We're promised an increased presence of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, not less. Uh, maybe he feels like he doesn't know, and I can understand that. But to say it can't be known and just to move along as if um, it's not a possibility is astonishing. Right. Uh, I believe that for whatever reason, uh, we have taken the simple, straightforward interpretation of Scripture, which, by the way, hermeneutics, the, uh, the uh, study or practice of interpretation, it says take the straightforward interpretation unless there's reason not to. And I think we are twisting clear New Testament Scriptures so that somehow we have more of a Santa Claus God than uh, a righteous God. Um, and I want to uh, share another thing. Uh, it actually sparked my memory here, Matt, when you just referred to Revelation again, because it's not just about Revelation chapters 2 and 3 with church, as we talked about, but it is about nations. Now, a couple things here. Um, we have... Um, in Revelation, a revealing of the events that come right before Jesus returned. And these are judgments. It says so right in the book. We have seven seals that are open, seven seals of judgment. We have that once the seventh seal is open, then that goes into seven trumpets of judgments. And these are harsh judgments, so I'm not using that word in the neutral way that we have on, uh, earlier and on the previous podcast. I'm talking about punishment, wrath, these kinds of things. And then and then the seventh trumpet opens up into the seven bowls of wrath. That's what the scriptures call them. You can't soft pedal this. You can't downplay this. You can't minimize this. This is we need to be warned about these things now if I believe anyway, whether Jesus returns in our lifetime or not, we need to be responding in faith and doing what's good and righteous. But especially if we're in the end times, why are we not sharing this? Um, so in any generation, it needs to be taught, enforced, emphasized. But as I believe especially in this generation where we very likely could be in the last of the last days. I do not know why you wouldn't warn everybody, including your own congregation, your own ministry, as well as others, to be ready for what's, what's coming. And, and people can repent repent now. And I, I would say a repentance that will put them uh, in a posture where they're experiencing God's grace to move through the difficulties that are ahead. Okay, but there's one more thing in Revelation. Um, all of that was just sort of, I don't know, flowed out of me or just happened. Preamble. But I was, tr- yeah, but I was trying to get to this point from Revelation 19 because it's specifically related to nations, and it, what's, it's what happens at Jesus' second coming. And it says this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges 
and wages war. This is talking about Jesus. He's a judge, and he will wage war, and it's a war against wickedness and the wicked that would not repent. Anyway, it goes on in verse 12. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him, Jesus, on white horses. So now we have angel armies following him. And what do they do? Verse 15, from his mouth, Jesus' mouth, comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. So here we are again, talking about nations. It says he'll strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So now we shift from his second coming to his millennium, millennial kingdom, where he rules and reigns out of Jerusalem. Jesus is in bodily form, walking around in the capital city, Jerusalem, for a thousand years. And it says he will rule the nations with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here we see the very character of God, and this is the Trinity. Here it's represented in Jesus, but this is the character of God, that he will pour out wrath against the wicked. We need to be warned about this right now, and he does it to nations. Now, people could say or argue that when he does this, it's just a form of global judgment, which we're going to talk about next here at the end of this podcast. But actually, it's specific nations that he's judging in Revelation 19, because what we see him doing at the end of Revelation 21 and the beginning of Revelation 22, which are the last two chapters in the entire Bible, of course, but he's restoring individual nations, and he's talking about individual nations. So in in chapter 19, he judges individual nations, and and they are throughout the earth, but they're still individual nations, and now he's going to restore them. But how do we know this? Well, right in Revelation 19, I just read that it says he rules them with a rod of iron, meaning he's going to keep wickedness out and he's going to keep righteousness going forth. So he's restoring nations right there in this passage, but then they're fully restored in Revelation 21. The last part of that chapter talks about how nations, individual nations, will bring their glory into the Lord, into his throne room in Jerusalem. And the glory could be gold, silver, diamonds, oil, who knows? Uh, It could be other things too, uh, like the... um, like a, a certain wisdom or certain inventions and different things. But the point is, is they bring all their glory to the Lord, but they do that as individual nations because God has restored them. And then Revelation 22, it says in verse 2 that, that the, the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So kind of from a big picture, we have the judgment of nations— being weighed in the balance, according to Jeremiah 18, we have the ultimate judgment of nations that Jesus does in Revelation 19, but then we have the restoring of individual nations on into the millennium and the new age. Now, before we we shift to global judgments and conclude there for today anyway, um, I just want to mention a couple of scriptures that are super important to understand God judging Gentile nations. And unfortunately, we're not going to take time to 
to explain these, but I just want to highlight them. And I, I would ask everybody, uh, write these down, consider these in addition to the scriptures we've already shared. But because almost nobody talks about God's corporate judgment, meaning judgment coming on nations, uh, these, are, these are vital as well. And in Isaiah, in chapters 13 through 24, uh, it talks about God judging uh, nations, different Gentile nations. And it's, it's a fascinating thing that God is not only focused on his chosen people, Israel. Also, Ezekiel uh, 28 and 29, uh, specifically about the judgment uh, of Tyre on the Mediterranean Sea coast there, just north of, of, uh, of Israel. And then, uh, and then in Ezekiel, right after that, in chapters 30 through 32, it talks about God sending judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. And it's stunning because, because Ezekiel, a Jewish prophet, is called to preach to Pharaoh and tell him about God's judgment that is coming. So let's shift from judgment begins in the house of God, the church. That was our first uh, focus today. Our second area of focus was was uh, God still is judging nations today, and he has throughout history, um, and now global judgments. And so let me just begin begin with this. We often think of global judgment and we think of, oh, Noah's flood in, in Genesis 6 through 9. Well, um, actually the scriptures have a lot more to say about this and it's pertinent to us, even if when it's Old Testament prophets talking about this, and it's in the New Testament as well, but those Old Testament prophets were very clear about something that would happen way in the future, and it's still to this day in the future for us. So even though quoting the Old Testament, um, it's, uh, it's still stuff that's future even for us today. So Matt, have you given this any thought related to God's global judgments? Well, it's, uh, it's very real. It's um, sobering, and uh, we ignore it um, at our peril. And uh, God uh, does sum up all of history. There is an end point to history. It doesn't just go on forever and ever. It had a beginning and it has an end. And so to be aware of his moral structure and order for the universe and accountability for that is incredibly needful and important for us uh, because uh, the consequences are so incredibly um, huge. So one very clear global judgment that has yet to be experienced uh, because it happens shortly before Jesus' return. And so this could be very soon. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the timeline. But that is the global judgment of the Babylonian system that we read about in Revelation 18 and 19. But also, it's interesting to read parallel passages such as Jeremiah 50 and 51. And there's also uh, specifically about Babylon in this future Babylon that's going to be judged. And there's other places in in the uh, major prophets that discuss the same, uh, same topic. So, you know, in terms of this, this Babylonian judgment, which is global, uh, Matt, do you have thoughts related to either what characterizes this, it commands us to get out of that judgment, like, or get out of this system? Like, any thoughts related uh, to that in terms of even uh, understanding Babylon or getting out of it? Well, in these end times, some consider that as part of all of this, there will be an apostate church and, um, and that uh, part of God's judgment is judging this false church, this apostate church. And there do seem to be markers. There's always been uh, people out there who profess Christ, 
but uh, don't uh, really follow him. And that's always happened, but it does seem like there's a lot more and more of that. People who want the form of godliness, but not really devoted to Christ in terms of following him. You see this in Protestant and Catholic churches alike. A lot of people who want to name the name of Jesus claim the status of being Christians and yet reject very important doctrines, whether it be uh, evidence of the miraculous nature of Jesus' ministry or his resurrection or issues on sexuality or all sorts of different matters. And it's astonishing that that seems to be all the more apparent in our, our current day and age. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I would want to highlight, too, that uh, as we see occultic activity increasing related to Babylon is sorcery. It specifically highlights that. Also, you can't get away from it being a global economic system mm-hmm. um, because of how the merchants of the earth weep over Babylon's destruction. And so we see that kind of a thing. We also see Second Peter 3, where where Peter is explaining there will be a global judgment. He actually says that this earth, the present earth and heavens are being reserved. He actually uses the word judgment because God will judge it by fire, that the godless will be judged in fire. And he specifically puts it in the context, or at least reflecting back on Noah's flood. And so we have a global judgment in Noah. We have a uh, this, what Peter's describing, as well as the Babylonian global judgment that we need to be prepared for as well. Um, you know, Matt, maybe putting a tie on all of this, uh, it is really um, stunning to think about God's character as it relates to uh, a judgment and, and, and what's happening here in all five areas that we talked about in the last podcast and this one. It's really stunning to think how we've neglected this topic often within the Western church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some great saints in the past would bring it up often, of course, um, in the America's Puritan history and other, um, you know, Methodists and others in American history. And they would rightfully bring it to the fore to remind us of these realities. But uh, I think out of a desire to please people or to get the most people in our ministries or churches, many ministers don't uh, ever speak on these themes. And it's, it's really, really needed. We can't be fully formed if we're not taught the full counsel of God. And it's not just knowing about God's grace. In many ways, we can't really understand God's grace unless we're aware of his judgment, because it's his grace that prevents that from coming upon us through repentance and faith. So we need to be aware of it. I think many have an unattractiveness or attachment to the Lord in some sense, because they don't see it as a big deal one way or the other what they do. And that doesn't have much consequence. And so they could kind of take it or leave it. Um, we all need to be reminded of the reality of the spiritual realm. Right. Well, we are out of time, and I want to just highlight, again, the five areas of judgment. There's the first two that are individual in nature, and they're uh, that the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the wicked, have been separated out, one to eternal punishment, the other one to eternal life. The second judgment is simply uh, the the judgment uh, of Christians in terms of the amount of rewards that they receive, the Bema Seat judgment. 
The third area that we covered today was judgment starts in the house of God. And so it's a judgment that comes upon the church within the church to purify and empower the church. The fourth area is the judgment of nations. And the fifth, as we just touched on here at the end, is global judgments. And so, Matt, thank you for your insight. We hope to have you on Insights once again sometime in the future. Thanks. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having me, and the Lord bless you. And thanks for being with us. You may want to look at the uh, closing uh, the closing promo of America in the Balance that I wrote with Timothy Zebel, a, a study to help you understand and take the, the ideas of God's judgment and righteousness further in your understanding. We look forward to being with you next time on Insights.